met. Not that long ago, I was one of the first people to face a graboid and live. Broke into the wrong goddamn rec room, didn't you, you bastard? This is a graboid, a true classic, like an American-made automobile that eats you. This is a shrieker. Get some earplugs and aspirin. Trust me. Now this is the aptly named Ass Blaster. Guess what they do? Know which one is which. It might just save your life. I'm trying to find this. Mike's not here, so I can admit this. There was a Scream Factory Dracula 2 movie set, and I'm trying to find the movies that were in there. Oh, uh, Love at First Bite, I think, might be the only Dracula movie where Dracula actually wins. <laughs> Isn't that the one with George Hamilton? So it's very weird. He plays Dracula. He comes to you know the United States, uh, finds a girl he's in love with. There's a descendant of Van Helsing who wants to stop him. But Van Helsing is made out as the bad guy in this scenario. Like, no one believes him. He he just, he's also in love with the girl. Dracula steals Van Helsing's girl and gets him, like, basically treated as an outcast from everything else. I think he loses his job. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, Dracula and her run off into the night together. Question, is is Van Helsing played by Eugene Levy? Uh, I think you may have just watched Splash. <laughs> Guy, could you imagine Eugene Levy throwing a net onto George Hamilton, screaming, Behold, the vampire! Also, the timeline here is a little weird because uh, there's still a Renfield in this movie, but like it's supposed to be a descendant, I think, of Van Helsing. So it's just, it's weird. Like, is this the same Renfield? Did he find another Renfield? I think the world is filled with Renfields if you want to find them. I guess, yeah. I just didn't think it was that popular of a name. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, and moxie. I'm your host, Cody, and tonight we're back with our Bop miniseries, You Can't Kill the Gummer. We're on to Tremors 2 Aftershocks. You know, the second one. Joining me, my co-host Jamie. Say hello, Jamie. Hello. I have a tank in a deleted scene. Is that true? Is there a tank in a deleted scene for Tremors 2? Well, I, I should rephrase. They scripted a scene where Burnt was going to fuck shit up with a tank, but this movie ended up costing $4 million, so a lot of stuff <laughs> went unshot. I imagine the tank was the first thing to go. This is a weird one, considering we're still calling the show You Can't Kill the Gummer, considering Gummer is a supporting actor in this one. Like He pops in partway through the film because another character calls him up like, oh, shit. We need more cred from the first Tremors. Yeah, he's brought in as the secret weapon. True. He's the Hail Mary pass that saves the day. Yeah, this is where he proves that he's worthy to carry this franchise on his mustachioed shoulders. I mean, after this, it's all his. So this, yeah, this is proving ground. This is when he got that big fat free agency check. Yeah, after this, they give him the annoying sidekick each movie. So folks, if you're at home and you listen to our first Tremors episode and you didn't actually watch Tremors 1... And now you're watching this and you haven't seen Tremors 2. Uh, the recap of the franchise so far is there's a very, very, very small town in Nevada called Perfection where horrible worm-like monsters have burrowed up from underground and have eaten members of the town. Our plucky ragtag group of heroes have managed to defeat the worms. But now we're on to the sequel where down in Mexico, the Tremors have resurfaced. Uh, Kevin Bacon isn't in this one. He, he decided Apollo... 13 was going to be like a way better deal for him. So he, he went and did that, which is probably the right call. Nothing against Tremors 2. It's just if you're comparing those, I mean. 
Come on, you got to work with Tom Hanks. We'd get the chance. Oh, and who else? We're, we're missing Reba McIntyre. She was like off touring when this movie was like being made. So she couldn't even jump back in, even though she wanted to. But, but, but we still have Fred Ward and we get Michael Gross back. So, you know, you can carry the movie with those two guys. It feels a little funky not having the chemistry between Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon. That, that's one of the main issues I have with the sequel. I don't know if you felt the same way, Jamie, but without those two and their tight friendship, eh, it just doesn't feel like it works as well. Yeah, I came away, I want to say first and foremost, uh, I do have a lot of respect for Tremors 2, Aftershocks. I'd honestly go as far as to say it's probably the best direct-to-video sequel ever. I really can't think of one that tops it. But yeah, it is- Old claim. (laughs) It is a very solid sequel that is unfortunately handicapped by a severely reduced budget and most notoriously just not having its full cast, which is frustrating because when you see the finished product, you can see the gaps in the screenplay where that cast would have filled. Like, you can see the lines that would have went to Bert's wife. You can see the lines that would have went to Val. The movie tries to uh, give that that kind of stuff to other characters and kind of, sort of, not really recreate the magic of the uh, original dynamic. But it makes up for it by giving us a heaping helping of Fred Ward. There is a whole lot of Fred Ward in this picture. With his retirement hair. (laughs) Like you mentioned, uh, we have Christopher Garton coming in as Grady Hoover, who is the new sidekick kind of character for Fred Ward to play off of. Those two are paired up like in the previous film we had Bacon and Ward. And it's 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 a similar relationship that doesn't quite work as well. I never got the sense that Hoover learned anything from this partnership. And he's more of a fanboy apprentice to Fred Ward than anything else. Whereas in the first movie, it's almost like a, a partnership where one guy just happens to be older. So yeah, I mean, they're trying to replicate the success of the first one in terms of character interaction. And it just can't help but being a little derivative because they're making a sequel without the original components. It is what it is. I will give the movie credit that in its attempt to uh, recreate the uh, flirty dynamic of Val and Rhonda, they try something similar with Dr. Riley and Earl in this movie. Dr. Riley played by Helen Shaver, who's miscredited as a completely different lady in this. (laughs) <laughs> Which w- would normally not be a big deal, but Helen Shaver has been in like a hundred fucking roles. Like she is a long running uh, TV bit part actor. I assume she just didn't want to be associated with Tremors 2, which seems like this isn't a Tremors 9 or anything. Come on. It's not that bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, I will g- I'll give the movie credit. Considering they were backed into a corner with having to uh, use Earl as the protagonist, it gives us an excuse to have a similarly aged actress as his foil. So this is a horror movie where the main male and female leads are in their 40s, which is very rare. Hell, I think Ward was probably pushing 50 at this point. Uh, When was this made? This was uh, Tremors 2. Filmed in 1994, sat on the shelf till 6. I did the math earlier and I think, yeah, I think uh, Shaver's like 40 and Ward would have been like 47, 48. Wow. I didn't realize he was uh, closing in on 50 in this one. I mean, he had the gray hair and everything. Fred Ward has been old since before we were born. I think the man was born old. 
Kind of the Wilfred Brimley deal where he was just forever 60. Well, it is kind of hard to place this movie time-wise because this this is supposed to take place four years after the original. It was shot four years after the original. Yet from the look of the movie, the plot, and how they aged up Ward, you'd think it was 15 years. Like It feels, <laughs> when we enter this movie, it feels like... We're in the middle of Earl's, like, Logan story. This is the the last kill of Earl Bassett. I mean, in canon, though, I mean, yes, I understand the actors all couldn't come back. We have to focus on, on Fred Ward's character. But it just feels like such a weird about face that he has to break up his friendship, like, had some sort of bitter falling out that we never get totally into <laughs> with Kevin Bacon's character. Which is a shame, because that's the foundation of the first film. They're best friends forever, no matter what. They give each other's lives for each other. And then this one is like, God damn it, he made all the money and ran off with a girl that I tried to set him up with. How dare he? I do love how the one time we were like directly, like Earl directly addresses Val's existence. It's just to say, yeah, he's not showing up for Tremors too. He's got a wife. <laughs> I, like, I like that Earl is like the family dog that gets passed up whenever like a new girlfriend comes into the house. It's so sad. It's just, it's, it's a weird deal because he's the one who set him up with her. Come on. They put, he put that together. He was matchmaking. Also, like you said, it feels like this should be happening 10 years down the line because Fred Ward's trailer now has like a, a graboid arcade machine inside of it. He's got like newspaper clippings and time articles and stuff on the walls. This looks like he went through the entire circuit of fame and burned out and just made some bad deals. It doesn't feel like it was like, oh, you know, two years later. I like how everything that happened between Ghostbusters movies happened in the Tremors universe in like three fucking years. Yeah. By the way, <laughs> I I want a replica of that Graboids cabinet so badly. Oh, man. I, what do you think that game is like? So this came out in like 94. So it's like Super Nintendo style, right? I like to think that's like uh, it's just a really nice looking version of Snake where you're the Graboid. I'm hoping something more like Turtles in Time, though, where you just have to go through the streets of New York and tremors pop up through like manhole covers and you got to beat them up with nunchucks. <sighs> Anyways, Nintendo, give me a call. I don't own the rights to any of this, but I would like to talk. All right. So besides that little bit there, sequels are always in a tough spot. Even if you ignore casting, it's just tough for horror sequels to really be as effective because you've already explained the monster in the first film typically, and you've shown how the monster can be defeated. So with a lot of creature features, you got to go out of your way to evolve the monster and make the situation a threat again. In this case, we go from the Graboids to our, our Shriekers, which, boy, I, I feel are a huge step down. The Graboids are mysterious. They can get you from anywhere at any time. The Shriekers are two-legged monsters that have big jaws and heat sensing. Plus, they shriek, so you, you normally know where they are and what they're doing. It's, it's like aliens. It's more of a deal with like numbers than one central tough alien. It's a shit ton of little monsters you got to worry about overwhelming you, making it more like an action film instead of a horror film. Yeah, I like the Shriekers a lot. I always have. I feel like the ideal Tremors sequel has a nice mix of both. Like just from, from a military standpoint, Cody, <laughs> Shriekers are the perfect ground troops. For the Graboids to then come in as reinforcements and just swallow, like, an entire fighting force. And since this movie... We don't see that. (laughs) Well, I imagine they could if it costs more than $4 million. Very true. 
we should say uh, we're poking fun at Aftershocks a little bit uh, because it is a step down from the original. But yeah, no shit, it's a step down. It's a movie that had its legs cut out from under it uh, right before filming. Like The struggle to get this movie made was surprisingly long like it's weird like you we think of tremors as this huge like almost era defining uh horror comedy that movie ate shit at the box office <laughs> i know uh, it made but, some money a little a pet no, pittance but it made a killing on home video so after they failed to get kevin bacon back for the sequel and everybody else kind of got busy and dropped out. They kicked it around for about four years until eventually just taking the initial script for a theatrical Tremors 2, paring it down considerably, removing all tanks. <laughs> Enjoy. Even even the poster, though, is like a step down. I'm, I'm looking at the poster right now. Fred Ward, big letters across the top. This time, instead of just a little bitty perfection Nevada on top, it's it's like half the poster is the truck and our supporting cast. Uh, and then we have some sort of definitely not tremor monsters under the ground at the bottom. They look less like Graboids than the one from the first poster that had incisors. So that's impressive. Yeah, it looks like they took the alien egg and, and kind of rolled it like it was cookie dough. So it kind of got stretched out and then just added some fangs to the, the opening mouth parts. It's weird. Uh, even the tagline isn't as good, although it, it does have a good kind of verbal flow to it. The worms have turned. <laughs> On video cassette and laserdisc. When I hear something fucked up, uh, my family had both of those whenever I was growing up in like a VHS double pack, and I watched Tremors 2 more. Wow. I think it was mostly because they had the remote control uh, RC cars, and that was delightful whenever I was like seven. The remote control cars do stand out. I always forget that was like a big focal point for two. But uh, the writers of the original film and, and this one, Brent Maddock and S.S. Wilson, like they had some clout that they were able to use to make the first movie uh, after they wrote Short Circuit and Batteries Not Included and a couple other things. They did not have enough clout to really get a director that they could afford. So S.S. Wilson just decided he'd direct the movie himself for free. Always seems like a bad idea, especially when your movie ends up going straight to video. Jamie, we talked about this earlier. I still don't know how that works. If someone from Hollywood could call and explain points to me, like if you don't take a, a salary, I'm assuming you get it back if the movie is successful at the box office. But if your movie doesn't go to the box office, do you just have to eat shit on this deal? I, I, I would I would ask S.S. Wilson, but if folks, if you go on to Wikipedia, there is almost no information about this man. You click on his page and it just says, born, tremors, and that's it. After this podcast, isn't that all our Wikipedia articles are going to say about us? Born, tremors, died, 1998. If I could get a wiki article, even a stub with that information, I could actually die happy. Uh, yeah, so that's fine. I'll take that. Also, what I think is the real tragedy of them uh, only having four million to make this happen is the original location for this movie, instead of nowhere, Mexico, was going to be Australia. This was going to be Graboids in the Outback. Tremors down under. Where I assume they would have had more as far as sets go other than a trailer. <laughs> they have a trailer and uh, there's apparently an oil rig. No, not an oil rig, but you know, an oil field. There's some pipes. You get it, yeah, get some pipes. We, the like, first guy who dies in the movie dies on those pipes. 
well, we should get into the uh, the plot of this one before we get any further. I forgot. Yeah, that was the thing we said we were going to provide people. So if you haven't seen Tremors 2 and you've ignored all that other conversation, this is the spot to tune in. So several years after the events of the first Tremors have gone down, there is a, an oil company down in Mexico who sees the resurgence of Graboids. Not knowing how to deal with them and still wanting all of their oil profits, they have to turn to the one man who can take care of them. Surprisingly, not the Gummer. I don't know why they don't go to Gummer first. They, they actually go to Fred Ward and offer him a bounty for each Graboid he kills. That's only because the Gummer's underground. Literally. <laughs> He's just licking his wounds. His wife left him. He's very sad. Anyways, uh, so Earl goes down to Mexico with his new sidekick, Grady Hoover, and they set about killing as many worms as they can. Things start off going pretty smooth. They have a little trick where they put uh, some dynamite on an RC car, race it around a field until the tremor eats it, and then they blow the tremor up. It's very weird seeing the, like, immediately following the first movie and just seeing the Graboids treated like a minor nuisance that can be killed in a shenanigans montage. Yeah, they really haven't figured out. Uh, this is going pretty smooth until the guys fuck up and get themselves stranded out in the middle of a field. And the tremors start to evolve. We don't just have graboids. They spawn a bunch of new critters called shriekers, which, as we said, are just two-legged mouths uh, with thermal-seeking organs on top of their heads so they can, you know, see you through walls as long as you have a pulse. Luckily, their ace in the hole is Bert Gummer, who they've invited to join in on the hunt. And he just shows up with, uh, I'm assuming half of the military of Mexico donated stuff to him. He's just got a truck with a bunch of different guns and rocket launchers and whatnot, most of which we don't really get to see in action. Oddly, the MREs are all that comes into play later. He also shows up with a shit ton of MREs, which turn out to be a problem because the Shriekers uh, get into his supply and rapidly reproduce. That's that's Tremors 2 Aftershocks in a nutshell, people. Uh, it's fine. It's not my favorite thing in the world. It's it's a little weird because I don't like the Shriekers, and I think that is really what the film hangs on. It's it's strange, though, that this entry has CGI creatures. Uh, in many shots, you'll see CGI Shriekers running around. And again, this was 1994, 5, 6. Uh, I don't know how long they worked on the CGI while this thing sat around. Very early CGI. That surprisingly doesn't look atrocious on Blu-ray. really holds up, especially in the night scenes, and I was wondering how they could be possible, and it turns out it's because this was handled by Tippett Studio. Ah. Right in between Dragonheart and Starship Troopers. That's why the fucking cra- <laughs> the Shriekers look like Starship Trooper bugs. That explains a lot. Like, the quality and design. Because these do look like they're kind of uh, prototype bugs from Starship Troopers. But they hold up, like I said, pretty good considering this is a no-budget direct-to-video picture made in the early half of the 90s. They're, they're not perfect, obviously. They're not photorealistic. But I was honestly shocked at how good they looked. Yeah, I understand why there was a hot minute where the studio was bouncing back and forth whether they should just pay for some reshoots and release it theatrically, which they ultimately ended up not doing. But yeah, they, they easily could have. That's what's so frustrating. It wouldn't have taken that much more to really give this the oomph to feel like it's not a direct-to-video movie. And, and sometimes, I think actually it does help them a little bit having that restraint. Uh, so there, there's one notable moment in the film where Bert is gone for a while. He's gone radio silent. Uh, and the characters see him driving back to their headquarters 
His truck is, you know, all ripped apart. He gets there, he's covered in gore, and he goes into a speech describing how he basically had to one-man army his way through a whole pack of Shriekers. <laughs> you know, he has the moment where he says, I am completely out of ammo, like the classic Burt Gummer line. And that works really well because we don't actually have to see him mow down a bunch of CGI Shriekers. As good as the CGI is, I don't know if that scene would have worked to have him go full Rambo against a, a swarm of these CGI critters. Having him explain it in words and just seeing how exasperated and angry and tired Michael Gross is sells the moment. It makes you have to imagine like the huge battle he went through just to get back to this point. Two things. One, I will die on this hill. George Miller ripped that off for Fury Road. Two. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I feel like that's the moment where Burt Gummer becomes the hero of this franchise. He can take care of business. So when he gives that speech and somebody says, at least you got them all. And he says, oh, no, I've got one hostage in the back. And then he pulls <laughs> off a tarp and he has one hog tied. He kind of becomes superhuman at this point in the movie, which is which is OK. Again, if this were a more serious film, you'd have to roll your eyes at how this one guy just becomes just just John Rambo. But because, again, this is, you know, it's it's kind of a comedy. You can roll with it. It seems OK that this guy is way overqualified for what he should be. I like how in between movies, like you go from Bert being this local yokel that nobody takes seriously to Earl being like, it's okay. Bert's always got a plan. Like he's fucking (laughs) Captain America. (laughs) Bert, Bert, he's the man. If he can't do it, no one can. I will say though, I do, I do enjoy when horror movies pull that trick I just described of having a character describe something they didn't have the budget for think of like the indianapolis speech in jaws if they had cut that out and done like a flashback how that would just not have the same impact in any way or in night of the living dead when ben sits down and gives a speech while he's barricading the farmhouse about his first experience with all the zombies grabbing on that truck and burning alive stuff they could not have actually filmed on their budget but i vividly remember that scene just from hearing the character describe it it's if you got a good actor, it's a great way to go, and it covers up a lot of budget issues. Oh, oral storytelling is not utilized enough in horror movies. Definitely agree. Before we go too uh, far away from discussing this movie's addition to the Tremors lore with the Shriekers, I, I think it's time for another installment of What's Up with the Graboids. is up with the Graboids, Jamie. Okay, now in the first movie, as we went into, very uh, very light on lore. Pretty much all we know about the Graboids going in is they appeared suddenly in the Nevada desert in 1990 with seemingly no provocation. And they are very long sandworms that use sonar in order to navigate. Now, in this movie, we get quite a few twists to both uh, the backstory and the physiology. In one of my favorite scenes in this film, that I'm pretty sure like is where my love of watching characters try to figure out the anatomy of monsters come from. Uh, we find out that the Graboids are actually not from outer space, as Earl is fucking heartbroken to discover, but are not only prehistoric creatures from our Earth, but possibly the oldest living organisms on our planet. It's entirely possible we're descended from Graboids, Cody. Think about that. I mean, I do I do shriek a lot, and I do have two legs. 
and far more relevant to the predicament these characters find themselves in, we discover a baffling wrinkle to the Tremors franchise that would forever change it to its core. Apparently, uh, like Godzilla, the Graboids reproduce asexually. <gasps> Which is probably for the best. I don't. It, it'd be complicated to try and think about Graboid sex. I think that's the only reason they went with that idea, which is nobody wanted to puppeteer Graboids fucking. I'm really surprised no one actually wanted to do that. That's got to be some guy's fetish out there. Yeah, make those worms fuck, baby. So we in this movie, we discover that uh, upon eating a certain amount of food, the Graboids can both reproduce and shed their skin becoming shriekers and walking around on two feet and using uh, thermal senses. I'm fascinated by the fact that they shed the ability to detect mass via sonar. Kind of feel like Mother Nature would want them to keep that around, like, just in case. Seems handy. If we still have the belly button, I feel like the shriekers need to keep the sonar. But that's just me. I'm not trying to second guess God. It's just, I mean, like, hey, man, I got a sense of smell. I got a sense of taste, touch. I got a lot of senses. I feel like shriekers could have more than just heat sensors. They could have a couple things going. The shriekers also communicate entirely by emitting a body heat, which is a, a legitimately fascinating idea for a uh, heat sensitive creature to have as its uh, primary mode of communication. And also is baffling because they also make a loud shrieking noise that they can't hear. Yeah. <laughs> which it's... implies that that's just an accident of nature. That's just them breathing. <laughs> that's just how it comes out. God just made them to be monsters, which is why I think it's okay that, that we kill so many of these beautiful, beautiful being, these one-of-a-kind beings throughout this franchise. They were clearly made by God to be murdered. Also, we didn't get into this last time, but Tremors 1 proved that these are very intelligent creatures. Like, on, on the level of dolphins, maybe even smarter. It, it's to the point where now I actually think it might be ethically dubious to start murdering these things wholesale. Like, they, they apparently have thoughts, motivations, planning skills. Uh, who knows? Maybe if they could see, they would recognize themselves in the mirror. Cody, do you honestly think a dolphin would hesitate to murder you in your fucking sleep if it could? We kept them trapped in, like, aquariums and stuff and made them do dancing shows for us. I imagine they have a lot of grudges they need to air out. What if, what if this was, like, the 1800s? Would dolphins want mankind dead as bad then? I don't know. Probably not. I feel like giving them all LSD was the turning point. Yeah, that didn't help. Turn the hippies against us. Turn the ocean against us, too. When will man learn? But he, uh, I don't understand <laughs> the reproductive cycle of the the the... Graboids or the the whole thing here. Oh, we've seen many charts and graphs in our research, and all of them just leave us with more questions. Yeah, I, I mean, we should leave it, I guess. This movie has established there are Graboids, and then they can shed their skin and become Shriekers. So it's complicated, I, I think. It's it's not... And if I remember right, Jamie, it's it's several Shriekers come out of one Graboid, right? Like there's three or possibly four. I can't remember the number that comes I, out of a single I Graboid. I believe it's two for everyone. Samael. Okay. So it's it's not even... Maybe I need to overthink this. Maybe it is still the same Graboid. Its mind has been split and handed down into two clones. Oh, Or these God. are two separate creatures that are, are launched out of this guy. And then the Graboid acts more like a, a kind of parasite. I don't know. It's confusing to me. 
They're, they're part of the same family, but not really is a shrieker. Does it technically start life as a graboid or is it just birth from one? I don't know. Uh, and luckily this movie stops there. We don't see the next part of the evolution because it only gets more confusing from that point. But we do see that the shriekers with enough food will just spawn more shriekers. So why, why, why did we need the graboid in the first place? I don't know. I could talk about this for hours and not get any answers. So I'm going <laughs> to leave it there. But God damn it, Tremors, you, you're making my head hurt. The important thing is, much like McCready at the end of the thing, Bert decided not to play their game. He blew those motherfuckers to kingdom come. You can see how proud they were of that explosion. That was like one of those Michael Bay deals where it's like, okay, get every camera you have on this. When this this thing blows, we want to make sure we have all of our ankles covered because we can't do it a second time. Uh, fucking Bert running away from a building screaming, it's going to be a big one. It's like burned into my brain forever. <laughs> And God, like talking about this earlier, just what an emotional gauntlet Burt Gummer has been through between Tremors 1 and 2. I mean, not only does he have to deal with the world no longer being on the brink of thermonuclear war, like the only environment where Burt felt like he understood the lay of the land and was useful, like now his wife has left him. Uh, the the uh, fame and fortune of being involved with a massive tragedy has left him behind. Like when we meet him, he's just sitting in his bunker, and and essentially, Batman just drinking himself to death in the Batcave is essentially what we see here. Yeah, with his one graboid head mounted on the wall as a reminder of the one time Bert was somebody. They need to make replicas of those and sell them. I would buy a miniature one of those to hang on my wall, especially if it's animatronic, like one of those Ooh. big mouth basses. Yeah, if you could sing a song, sure, I'd take it. And whenever uh, Earl calls him out there, like, that's his Dark Knight Returns moment. Like, the rain hits his chest like a goddamn baptism. <laughs> there's a there's a brief, like, they don't really go into it, but there's, like, a subplot with Bert coming to Mexico and immediately taking out graboids, like, three at a time. Like He's living his best life. He's he's riding high on this uh, mood swing. The, the span of this movie takes place over a week, and it's heavily implied that Bert does not sleep at any point during this. <laughs> he's just happy to be there. I, I do enjoy that they stumbled upon giving this guy the perfect motivation to be the lead of this franchise. <laughs> like, without a central conflict in his life, he just feels adrift. And now having the graboids as his nemesis to fight gives him like an eternal struggle he can return to. And that's why he has been Burt Gummer for 30 years because someone's got to kill the Graboids and it's got to be him. <laughs> I, I like, I love the idea of taking an ancillary character from a horror movie and having him decide that that was the only time his life was interesting and just pursuing that. <laughs> no, I know what my deal is. I, I want to be back in the shit. That's always a problem with horror films. It's typically the characters are dragged back in against their wishes. And it's just, how many times is this going to happen? Come on. This one, it feels like, nope, Bert would rather be a part of it if it's going on somewhere. So it makes sense that he shows up and we have a Tremors movie. This guy wants to be in Tremors. Bert's going to show up with even more elephant guns than he had in the first movie. I assume to prove his wife wrong when she said they didn't work. They don't get the penetration. <sighs> I think she's right on that part. You're shooting into dirt. It's not going to do anything. Now, she didn't account for Shriekers. True. No one ever accounts for the next evolution of Worm. They're like goddamn Pokemon. It always does surprise you. Uh, one more thing about the Gummer here. I do like that the movie introduces him as a, a Swiss army knife of a man. 
and then immediately realizes this is a problem in their plot because that means he can just go through all of their monsters, even if they've taken away his ammo. So they have to spend a decent chunk of the film trapping him. Like he's just in that little construction bucket. So like he can't move, he can't get out, he can't help anyone. And it becomes almost like a siege movie where he's just stuck there and the characters have to figure out a plan without their best chess piece. Yeah, again, that's what's so frustrating about Aftershocks is while the the finished product is very solid, you can see the inkling of a Tremors movie that's just as good, if not better, than the original if they just had the people and the resources. Again, it was it was mostly the same team from Tremors 1. I don't think that was a fluke. I think they could have made Tremors 2 really fantastic if they had been given the resources that they needed to do it correctly. For what it is, I enjoy Tremors 2. I know I give it a lot of shit, but that's because I'm riding high. I just watched Tremors 1, and then I went to Tremors 2 right after. And it turns out you need a little time to let that breathe. Yeah, I I admit it was definitely uh, a bit of a whiplash for me, but I I have so much affection for this movie. I think a lot of it is just the fact that it's the apotheosis of early 90s direct-to-video. Because there's something very unique and very special about direct-to-video genre films from that time. Because that was like around the time that... Studios that specialized in VHS had fully left behind the whole video nasty aesthetic, and they figured out how to make movies like this look, if not as good as theatrical, but at least make them look as good as the USA Network. And we got so much cool garbage from that period. That's when we got the dentist films. That's when they were giving us basket case after basket case. (laughs) It was a wild west and a lot of shit that would have looked like garbage a couple of years earlier felt kind of legit because it wasn't being filmed through an old tube sock anymore. I always uh, think of uh, Tremors 2 as being like the poster child of that era. The day we figured out (laughs) direct-to-video. That sounds a lot more poetic than anything I could say about the legacy of Tremors 2 aftershocks. The most I can say is it is very nice that it gives Earl a chance to ride off into the sunset. Like his character, basically, if you go with this movie as his total arc, he gets to move on without his friend. He gets to start his own life. He's got maybe a business, some new partners, a romance. He finally got everything he was after at the start of Tremors 1. Yeah, I like how both Val and Earl get their own super happy fairy tale endings in both movies, which is rarely afforded to horror characters. Especially the sidekick from the first one. <laughs> it's it's. I do like that, that the first movie gets to be Kevin Bacon's and the second one gets to be Ward's. Like, they have their own separate movies where they get to play lead and the movie caters to them and they get their own happy ending out of it. Earl gets to go home with his favorite centerfold, who's also a brilliant geologist. What are the chances? And before we ride off into the sunset, I think we need to do a little bit of ranking, Jamie. Um, I think my thoughts are going to be pretty obvious. Of the two Tremor movies we've seen so far, I would say Tremors is my number one, and Tremors 2, Aftershocks, is my number two. Ugh, as much as eight-year-old Jamie is screaming at me to make Tremors 2 the best, Tremors and Tremors 2 Aftershock is going to be my ranking. I'm going to hold you to that. Remember it. Also, while we're ranking things, more important than the quality of the movie, the title of the movie. So we have Tremors, the original, classic, clean, and Tremors 2 Aftershocks. Now, I think some people would say... Well, you got to put Tremors as the best title 
because it doesn't have a subtitle. You know, it's just, it's what it is, Tremors. I don't know. Tremors 2, Aftershock says everything it needs to. One, it tells you it's Tremors 2, so you know it's a sequel. I like that they put the number in there. Plus, it has the semi, it's got the colon, and you get Aftershocks. So you get like a fun little descriptor on there, and that one's unique. It's not like the rise of the Graboids or anything <laughs> stupid. It's Tremors 2, Aftershocks. I think it's thematically appropriate to the idea of Tremors. I like how that all fits together. I like that it's got the number. It's not pulling one of those stupid Fast and the Furious deals where you don't know what goddamn movie it is in the franchise. Miss me with that. I just call it Fast and Furious 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. You can still call it like Fast and the Furious 3 Tokyo Drift. That's cool. I think you should do that. But don't start changing the titles out and just call it Fast and Furious at some point. That's no bad movie makers. So Tremors 2 Aftershocks gets a lot of points for me. I might actually have to rank it Tremors 2 Aftershocks. Tremors. Uh, I'm going to go with Tremors as my number one simply because of the beautiful monolithic simplicity of Tremors. Tremors. Com- coming soon to a theater near you. But yeah, Tremors 2 Aftershocks is pretty much the perfect horror sequel title. I don't, I don't know if anything's going to top it. I, oof, it'd be tough. All right. So folks, I'm locking mine in. Best title in the Tremors franchise. One, Tremors 2 Aftershocks. Two, Tremors. Hold me to it. I'll stand by that, probably. And if not, eh, whatever, it's Tremors. I can make up my mind later. Who cares? I think that's all I can say about Tremors 2 without going in circles. So thank you so much for joining us, folks. If you want more Box Office Pulp, you can find us at boxofficepulp.com. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook. You name it. Just type Box Office Pulp. You'll find us. That's a wrap. Get the hell out of here. The Graboid appears to respirate the same nitrogen-oxygen atmosphere as other terrestrial animals. Witnesses have heard Graboids sometimes expel blasts of air. This implies that Graboids possess lungs. On a related topic, the Graboid, Shrieker, and Ass Blaster all have closed circulatory systems. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.